Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Today we're going to talk about uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, one of my favorite stories. Usually, uh, well, let's open in a word of prayer first. Our Father, we do thank you for uh, the time together to spend in your word, and we do indeed uh, sit at your feet to learn from you, and we pray that this time would be fruitful. Open our hearts to the truth, show us what's truly important in life, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So how was your week? Did you get everything done you wanted to get done? No? Angie, to get, get all your books purchased, school supplies purchased for the kids? School's been in session two weeks. You better get on top of that. Mark, did you get all your bills paid? No, no? Phil, you get your grass cut? He's laughing. It's good to see it growing again. There's a lot of things that dominate our week on a weekly basis sometimes that are urgent, like paying bills, cutting grass, getting the kids off to school, packing their lunches, whatever it takes, cooking a meal for the family, and so forth. A lot of those things are urgent. How many of those things are important? Well, maybe all of them are important in their own way. But what is there about your week that had eternal significance? What was truly important that will outlive the week, outlast the month, or even the year, and even this life? And that's what we want to talk about today when we talk about choosing the better part. You know, I'm reminded, uh, I, I saw this picture, and I, I studied it a little bit. And uh, it, it occurred to me that there's something going on in this picture I have never noticed before. Norman Rockwell's famous picture of Thanksgiving dinner. And you see probably the grandparents, yeah, grandparents, I would say. And she has, the mother, grandmother has cooked a wonderful turkey. Now think of what goes into that. Going to the store, choosing the right turkey, and then brining it overnight. You do that, don't you? I'll never eat another un unbrined turkey. Once you do it, you'll do it forever. And then she carefully prepared it and cooked it so that it was a perfect crispy skin, perfect presentation on a platter, and brings it out to her family. And here's what I notice. What do you see? Nobody, nobody's looking at the turkey. What was so important for her is not so important to them. What's important to them? Each other. They're looking, they're talking, they're enjoying each other's presence. That picture kind of summarizes what I see in our story today with the characters, Mary, Martha, and Jesus. You know, we're thankful that Luke has paid more attention to women in his gospel than the other gospels did. Maybe it's because he was a doctor and he saw women as much as he did men and he was more sensitive to uh, women uh, in life, uh, but we have more about women and women's perspective in the book of Luke than we do the others. And here we have a visit by Jesus to Mary and Martha. 
We know that they had a brother named Lazarus, but he's not in this story. It appears that they might have known each other already because he visited them. It doesn't it could have been the first visit, but we, it looks like there might have been some familiarity. We just don't know. They lived in a little town called Bethany, which is only two miles from Jerusalem. And this is the last, last six months of Jesus' life. So keep all that in mind as your background. And what we see then is in this setting, it says it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha welcomed him, I'm sure Mary did too, but Martha was probably the first to the door, first to welcome him. She perhaps had the gift of hospitality that was important to her and she was glad to see Jesus there. But it tells us, it goes on to tell us that Martha was a bit distracted by things and so she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus feet and heard his word so there's a contrast here between Martha and we're going to see how she's distracted but Mary is totally distracted or consumed by the presence of Jesus who she knew as a special person obviously and sat at his feet and heard his word now, sitting at his feet tells us that that's, that's the position, the pose of a disciple. You know, in some cultures, when you teach the Word of God and sit on a chair, the people insist on being below the Word of God and they'll sit on the ground rather than on their chairs. I have heard of that in some situations from friends. So she's in the posture of a disciple. And her attitude is one of a disciple. She's listening to the word the word for us today is the Bible but she was listening to the living word Jesus Christ however Martha was distracted it says with much serving not a little bit of serving much serving and she approached Jesus and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone therefore tell her to help me Let's look at these two priorities. Mary wanted to hear the Word of God from a very special visitor. She wanted to spend time with Jesus. Time, she obviously knew, had eternal value for her. She thought it was better to be with Jesus than to work for Jesus or serve Him in a physical way. She was doing what was important. Martha, on the other hand, it says, was distracted with much serving. She thought it was more important to work and serve Jesus than it was to spend time and listen to him. Different priorities, aren't they? Well, we find that she's not only distracted, but she's busy. She's uh, a bit bossy. She's... Uh, very, we don't want to take anything away from her. She's very generous. She's obviously given to hospitality, welcoming, kind-hearted, industrious, and all those things. I think Mary, Martha was probably a firstborn in the family. You know, the characteristics of a firstborn, everything's got to be just right, you know. 
Mary's a little more relaxed. Maybe she's born further, born further down the line. I don't know. That's going beyond what the text says for sure. But Martha was consumed with what we call the tyranny of the urgent. You ever been there? The tyranny of the urgent. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. That's what my week was like this week. I got to get a sermon ready for Sunday. And I don't want to preach something I've preached before. When I go and speak other places, they usually ask me to preach on certain topics. And I've usually done that before. I don't have to spend a lot of time preparing a message. I've already got the message. I wanted to do something new this week. So that means more time. I had to do that. But I also had to get my printed newsletter out, which is at the printer, just sent to the printer yesterday. I also had to get my eLife out, which was, I think, mailed yesterday or today. And um, I had to uh, uh, work on my magazine article, which is due this week. Um, I had, had other things that I had to pay bills, et cetera, et cetera. It's been that kind of week for me, the tyranny of the urgent. And more than once this week did I find myself saying, oh, wait a minute, what am I preaching on? <laughs> I better slow down and check in with the Lord here and see if things are going right. That was a good day. It didn't happen every day. So Martha here is a hard worker. She wants the very best for the Lord. But I think she gets over her skis a little bit here. Don't you? Instead of letting him tell her what to do, Martha tells Jesus what to do. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? She tells him what to do. Her agenda was more important than his agenda. When you come before the Lord and you pray, it's time to pray. Lord, please help my aching back. Lord, please help my marriage. Lord, please give me the money for my bills. You do this, you do that, you do that. Or do you take time to listen to what he's saying? I don't want to get mystical here about voices and things like that, but uh, you hopefully prayer biblically and with your Bible opens even so that God can speak to you through that. And that's how he speaks to us today. Do your prayers tell God what to do or what you want before you listen to hear what he wants you to do or what he wants? You see, for Martha, it was all about her. Her strength, which was serving and doing things well, became her liability. And sometimes that's true with us. Our strength and the things that we do well can get in the way of what is really important in life. Do you not care? What an ironic question that was. In six months, Jesus would die for Mary and Martha and raise her, their brother from the dead. Do you not care? <laughs> Did he care? The greatest demonstration of love and care in the world was that Jesus died on the cross for us. But God, the scripture says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <laughs> Do you care, Lord? Well, just wait six months and you'll see, Martha. But he wasn't. That's, Jesus didn't have a smart mouth like I would have. But, uh. You see, Martha was on the road to burnout. I believe. And this is a road where we can find ourselves easily when we concentrate on when we concentrate on what is urgent instead of what is important. You see, first of all, 
She seemed to be growing bitter towards God and blaming him. Lord, don't you care? Lord, why did you give me this burden? Lord, why did you give me this unexpected expense? Lord, why did you give me a flat tire? Well, and then she goes on, and she resents what others are not doing. And that makes us judgmental. Tell my sister to help me. She's not doing anything. She's judging her sister. She goes further down that path. She becomes controlling. Lord, tell her what to do. <laughs> that tells us that our agenda is in the wrong place. She was, then she became self-centered and not other-centered. Tell her to help me. It's all about me. On this road to burnout, eventually it will create conflicts with God, with other people. Because we're not getting our way. God's not doing what we're telling him to do. People aren't doing what we tell them to do. Yeah, Martha got over her skis. She's on the way to burnout if she keeps that up. Unless somebody intervenes and teaches her a lesson, maybe Jesus will do that. She was emphasizing what was urgent over what was important. And here we have a picture of somebody who's doing what's urgent and somebody who is doing what's important. Jesus' priority was different. His priority comes out in his words to Martha. He answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, the repetition of her name shows a certain tenderness and affection for her. We don't say that when we're angry, do we? But when we want to get somebody's attention and convince them that we care about them, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. One thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that better part, that good part, which will not be taken away from her. One thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. He loved Martha. He loved Mary equally. He says that Mary has chosen the one thing. What is that one thing? Well, I think we can conclude from the story that it has a lot to do with putting Jesus first and listening to him and seeing what he has to say, whatever that means in your life. And so I'm not going to calibrate that by saying, well, you have to go to church every Sunday, or you have to read the Bible 10 minutes a day, or go to a Bible study once a week. You're missing the point if, if that's what you're thinking. The point is, is that Jesus is always with us today. He is always with us today. We don't have to go to church or Bible study or open the Bible to know that he's with us, to be able to talk to him, communicate to him, and remember what he has told us. But he says to, Mary, uh, to Martha that Mary has chosen that good part and it will not be taken away from her. She has chosen to invest these precious moments with Jesus in something that will last for eternity and not just the short time span of a visit. You see, what Martha has chosen to do is impress Jesus with 
perhaps a good meal, some perfectly cooked goat. Maybe she's dusted off her chotsky because he'll certainly be impressed with those little things on her wall that she bought at Hobby Lobby. She's dusted the cobwebs out of the corner. She's swept the dust from the floor because Jesus will certainly criticize dust on the floor. She could impress people for a moment with her house and her hospitality, but what she did could be taken away. It could be taken away by more dust on the floor, more spiders in the corner. It can be taken away with time, with decay, with people, with circumstances, with death. But Mary, what she's investing, can never be taken away because she has chosen to focus on what is eternal. That makes me wonder, what are we investing our time in that can be taken away? You know, the Bible speaks of a time when all Christians, all who believe in Christ, will come before the judgment seat of Christ. This is for Christians only. And there will be, we will be evaluated according to what we've done in this life, whether good or bad. And it says that the things that we've done that were worthless will be burned up like chaff, like straw, like wood, hay, and stubble. But the things that we've done of eternal value will be like gold, silver, and precious stones that will go through the fire and into eternity as treasures in heaven and in the kingdom. So what have we done and invested our time in? That which is temporal or that which is eternal? You see, Jesus taught when he was on earth and uh, very early in his ministry that man shall not live by bread alone. <laughs> Something as essential, everybody's thinking about where you're going for lunch today, right? Something as essential as our next meal or our food that we, sustains us and gives us life there's something more important than that. Man shall not live by bread alone. The story doesn't tell us what Martha did. It doesn't tell us if she learned from this. We don't know. We can only speculate. But the question is, what would you have done? What would you have done in such a situation? A surprise guest, a special guest, somebody that you know is very, very special, esteemed by those and the crowds called a prophet, perhaps. Some perhaps recognized him as the Messiah. Martha would later. You know, I think that we all have um, some of Mary and some of Martha in us, don't we? We are given to do that which is urgent in life. We sometimes know what's important, but we don't get quite get around to it. How can we be more like Martha today? And how can, we be, um, how can we be more like Mary today and less like Martha today? Maybe we just need to slow down and shut up <laughs> sometimes. What is distracting us from focusing on our relationship with Jesus Christ? What is your daily routine like when you get up in the morning? Oh, I'm late. No time to read the Bible today. No time to talk to God today. I got to get dressed. I got to get shaved. I got to get in the car. I got to beat the rush hour. I'll catch up with you later, God. 
Well, that's my day many times. Some, I find myself going to bed at night, turning the light off and saying, Oh, Lord, I did promise you I'd get with you, didn't I? Sorry about that, I forgot. And so we spend a few moments together sometimes. Most lives are filled with too much busyness to seek the truth about God from our personal relationship with Him. Focus on the eternal, not the temporal. That should be our most important task. How, you, uh, how can you begin to value what matters most in life? Well, first of all, recognize the important. Recognize the things that go beyond this life and into eternity. Maybe we need to focus on what's important and practice planned neglect on what is not so important. President Eisenhower, I think when he was a general, came up with a matrix for his decision-making. And it reminds me of what we see here because it categorizes that which is important and that which is urgent. But it's a good matrix in our decision-making process. Dwight Eisenhower said, I have two kinds of problems, the urgent and the important. The urgent are not important and the important are never urgent. So how would you categorize categorize your life according to what is urgent and what is important. And that's where I just wanted to share this with you. It's not from the Bible, it's from Eisenhower. But he was able to use it to distinguish what is important from what is urgent and then things that are less important, less urgent. But notice, if you look at the matrix, the first square is that which is of high importance and high urgency. Things like feeding your family, things like paying your bills. Those are important on time. Those are important and they're urgent, right? So uh, there's deadlines to meet. There's crises to solve. If your car is broken, it's very important and urgent that you get it fixed. For me, important and urgent this week meant preparing a sermon, my newsletter, my e-life uh, emailed letter, and so forth working on the podcast and so forth, things I have to get done, things I have deadlines for. They're important and they were urgent. The second square on the matrix are things that are important but not urgent. Things that are important but not urgent. Now, that might include things like um, uh, relationships with people. There's nothing urgent about you calling your, your uh, grandmother today or your... Uh, children in another state today, but it's important. But many of us would tend to say, well, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it next week when I have a little bit more time. Maybe a long-term goal in your work or business, a long class project that's two weeks off. <laughs> it's not urgent till the night before, right? But it's important. Exercise, physical exercise, good eating, healthy, staying healthy, that's important, but not urgent because we can start the diet tomorrow. How many are going to start a diet tomorrow? How many are going to start working out tomorrow or exercising tomorrow, right? You know what I found? The best workout is, I'll share it with you, the best workout you can do is the one that you will do. 
So start somewhere. Anyway. You know, for me, what's important, and in my life, what I've found is important, but not so urgent, is my writing. To be honest with you, when I was pastoring a church here, I was able to spit out a few things, but I finally kind of gave up my latter years and just said, I don't have time to write. There's too much going on in the church. We were put, getting in the building and all these things. I just kind of gave up writing. And then I got involved uh, full-time with my ministry, and I started doing a little more writing, but then pretty soon my calendar became so full that I'm going somewhere every week, and I don't have time to write. So the last couple of years, I had this discussion with my board. I said, look, someday I'm going to be gone, and people are going to forget everything I said, but if I can leave something in writing, it will be there forever. I still read people 50 years, written things written 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Writing endures, and so I made a commitment with the blessing of my board to do more writing. Not just about fishing, either. <laughs> that was just the fun part. I'm working on other projects. But you see, when it comes to something that's urgent and important, you really don't have much choice. You have to do it. When it comes to something that's important but not urgent, you do have a choice. You have to make a choice. And the way you handle these things is you decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it. The things that are urgent have deadlines and schedules and goals. When it comes to something like spending time with the, the Lord Jesus Christ, things of eternal value, how have you scheduled that or committed your time and self to that activity or that just building that relationship? Now, the other parts of the matrix, for example, number the third square, a rectangle, it's urgent but not important. Well, these are things that uh, you can put off or delegate to someone else to do. Don't tell my wife this, but whenever I get a notification that I have a prescription ready at CVS, I wait until she's going out to do a task. I think, would you mind stopping by CVS and picking my prescription up? She always says, yeah. But if I do it, it's going to be a 20-minute drive there, a 20-minute wait in that slow, slow line, and then a 20-minute drive home. But Karen doesn't have anything else to do, right? <laughs> I love to mow the grass, but she does too, so I'll let her mow the grass. I she did yesterday while I worked on this sermon. There are some things that you can delegate to other people. Go to the bank for you. Go to the grocery store for you. They won't, they'll miss a few of your favorite snacks, but still, they get most of it done. And then there's the fourth part of the matrix, which is not important and not urgent. Just drop it. Those are the things you can cut out altogether and not miss them at all. Unless you just have all this extra time and all this extra energy, they're just time wasters. Uh-oh, here we're going to step on toes. <laughs> like watching TV. I said this to Karen the other night. We were watching TV, and I said, I hate evenings because all we do is sit and watch TV. It's just wasting time. But, you know, after, the fact is we're too tired of doing anything else. I don't, I'm not an evening person, so my mind is... So we go to bed early like old people. Oh, but even worse than that, Facebook during the day, right? Facebook, oh, I got to see that video. Oh, I got to see that video. Oh, oh, and TikTok. 
I'm not on TikTok, but I know people who are. I spend all my time on TikTok, they say, Instagram. And what'd you get out of that, of eternal significance? Truth is, you can drop all of your Facebook, which I would do if it wasn't for ministry purposes. I would drop in fishing pictures. I would drop... <laughs> when you catch a big fish, you just got to tell people about it. That's why I wrote six new chapters. Fact is, I could do without Facebook and Instagram if it wasn't for family and ministry. But you make that decision. So this is just not from the scriptures, but it kind of reflects what we're talking about here, comparing what is urgent, what is important, and how do we decide between the two. Well, what's important to you, but not urgent? Maybe asking somebody forgiveness. You've put that off for years, but that's important. Saving for the future. Oh, I'll start tomorrow. Will you? Eating and exercising healthily. We're all going to start that tomorrow. Drawing up a will. You know, from the first time that Karen first got pregnant, well, almost 40 years ago, we were going to draw up a will. And then we had a second child, and we're going to draw up a will. And we had a third child. We're going to draw up a will. Fourth child. We just keep forgetting, though. We just, we, we intended to do it. We just, it was never set a time and date and goal. We did it two years ago. <laughs> the kids are all grown and they can take care of themselves now. Oh, well. At least they won't fight over their, our remains and inheritance. <laughs> Spend time listening to God. Oh, yeah, that's important. When are you going to do that? Or just evaluating your relationship to God. Just sitting down, having a little chat with them about how things are going. Those are things that are important, but may not be urgent, and so they'll be put off unless you do something about them. You know, when the kids come over, I turn on a kid's program. And then the kids get distracted and they all leave the room. And I'm sitting there watching Paw Patrol <laughs> or Daniel Tiger. You know, you've been their parents and grandparents. So I try to turn on something that I could at least endure when they're out of the room. And on this particular day, it was Beauty and the Beast, the remake with actors. It was really very well done. There's a scene in there, though, that uh, I got drawn into the movie, and there's a scene in there that hit me like a brick. You see, uh, Belle's father had gone to the castle and got locked up. And the beast said, when this door closes, it will never open. For all eternity, you will be locked up. And then Belle discovers the castle and runs up there and confronts the beast. And, and he, he says, no, your father is going to be there forever. Well, she says, can I just have a minute to say goodbye to him? And he goes, huh, turns away and starts to walk away. And she says, forever can spare a minute. And I got to thinking about that. Forever can spare a minute. What are we but on this earth 
for a minute when we compare it to eternity. How are we going to spend that minute? So the beast concedes and opens the prison door. She rushes in, hugs her father, says goodbye, pushes him out of the cell, closes the door on herself. So now she's locked up for all of eternity. And the beast says, you took his place. That was an unexpected surprise too because isn't that what Jesus did for us? Who were condemned to die, locked up in the prison of sin. That's what the scriptures say in Galatians. So he locked up in the prison of sin. And then Jesus came and freed us only because he took our place and paid the price for our sin that God's justice demanded. And because he paid the price on the cross and rose from the dead and gave us eternal life as a free gift, we can live forever with him. Well, that kind of came out of there too. But back to the point, forever can spare a minute. This life is a preparation for all of eternity. How much time are we spending to prepare for this life? How much time did you spend preparing for that class assignment? How much time did you spend preparing your taxes? How much time did you spend for that presentation at work? How much did you, time did you spend on writing that contract or cooking that dinner or planning your vacation or working on this sermon? In light of eternity, was there any eternal value attached to what we did? Forever can spare a moment, a minute. Now I want to speak to some of you today who may be listening, but you're not quite sure about your relationship to God, and you're not quite sure that you have eternal life. You may go to bed at night wondering what would happen to you if you die. And of course, if you're a young person or you're a teenager, you think you're never going to die, like my best friend did at the age of 18, which got my attention. But I hope nothing bad like that ever happens to you. But you're going to die someday. Are you ready for that? Well, you say, it's not urgent. Let me sow a few more wild oats. I'll believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior when I'm on my deathbed. Or when the Spirit moves me. If you're here today and you're hearing my voice or you're listening online, the Spirit's here today. And He's telling you that there's something very urgent and very important that you need to do. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Oh, I'll just wait a little bit. Maybe that's what that 64-year-old woman was thinking. I don't know who it was, so I'm not judging. I don't know. But when she was driving down Wilshire Boulevard... And two gangs started fighting, and a bullet went into her car and killed her in January. Right here in Burleson. Or maybe that's what was being thought by the van that was right by my house, turning into the Baptist church next to my house with four in the van. And when they were in the turning lane, a car hit them in the back, pushed them into the oncoming traffic, and two of them died instantly going to church. See, there's no guarantee that when you leave this place, you leave and make it home or to your lunch spot. This week I heard two stories about people who husbands just dropped dead 
One minute they're fine, the next minute they're calling him out. Where are you? He walks in the kitchen and there he is on the floor. There's no guarantee that we have another day. We live in a minute and are faced with eternity. Are you prepared to face an eternity without God in darkness, in torment? Or would you believe in Jesus Christ today as your Savior? God loves you, wants to spend eternity with you, but you have to decide that that's urgent and important enough to trust him for the gift of eternal life. Nothing you do, not joining a church, no good works can earn it. Faith, believing what God has promised you, the gift of eternal life. Let's bow our heads to the word of prayer. Because perhaps I've spoken to someone today who's actually been listening to Jesus, not me, <laughs> but maybe what Jesus is saying to you. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed to give everybody privacy, would you ask Jesus to be your Savior today? Lord, I want the gift of eternal life, and I thank you for it. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for being alive today. And I would rejoice with you, and God would rejoice Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing that you have given to us to know Jesus and to sit at his feet, even today. And we pray that we might look at our lives a little differently from this point on, that we might see what is truly important in life and devote ourselves to that. Keep us from being tyrannized by the urgent things that need to be done around us. And if there's anyone here today who needs the most important thing, Jesus as Savior. May today be the day of their eternal salvation. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.